And so I, I want to take some time this morning, and I want us to turn to the book of Joshua, Old Testament book. I want us to look at the life of Joshua. And my message to you today is simply this, be strong and courageous. Can you say that with me? Be strong and courageous. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1. As you're turning there, I just want to encourage you. Last Sunday we gave out a Bible reading plan. And we encouraged everyone, uh, challenged you to, to go through the Word of God with us this year. Uh, if you weren't here last week or if you didn't pick one of those up, we have them out at the information table. And I want to encourage you, get one of those and trek with us through the Word of God this year. I didn't take a lot of time to explain that uh, Bible reading program, but it's set up beautifully. There's four places that you read from every day. You read out of the Old Testament. You read out of the uh, Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, you read out of the New Testament. And so four different places in the Bible that you read from every day. There's 25 readings for each month. So if you miss a day, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to read 30 chapters of Ezekiel. You know, there's a little bit of grace in the program. It's only 25 readings each month. And you can do it. <clears throat> I want to encourage you to do that with us this year to read through God's Word. As we're here in Joshua, <clears throat> be strong and courageous. Uh, I, I want to I read the text together. Uh, if you'll look at it with me, we're just going to read the first 10 verses. Follow along with me as I read this. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. And from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people. I want to stop right there and challenge you today to hear a prophetic word in the Spirit to each and every one of our hearts. Be strong and courageous. Father God, I just pray that for the next few moments as we dive into this text, as we look at this story, that God, you would allow the Holy Spirit to shine a searchlight in our hearts, to let our faith grow as we meditate on your word and on your promises. God, to give us eyes and ears to see and hear what you're saying. 
that we would respond in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let me give you a little background into this story. I want to tell you where Joshua fits in to the biblical narrative of what's going on in the whole of the Word of God. Because uh, this story is, is uh, about Joshua and the book is named Joshua. But i got to be honest with you, he's not the main character of the story. There's something bigger that God is doing in this text. And so I just want to zoom out a little bit and let you get a little bit of a bigger understanding. Now, if you are doing the Bible reading program with us, then you've probably already trekked through Genesis chapter 15. And you came to the point in the story of God's people where God told a man named Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. All nations will be blessed through you. You're going to have uh, descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. <clears throat> now, the problem with that was that Abram's wife couldn't conceive. The other problem was that he was 100 years old and she was 90. But God blessed them with a child. And that child's name was Isaac. And Isaac grew up and he got married. But his wife couldn't have children either. And so they prayed and God blessed them with twins. And one of those children's name was Jacob. And Jacob grew up, and the Bible says he wrestled with God in prayer. And God changed his life and changed his name to Israel. That Israel is the nation of Israel. It has become the descendants of Abraham. And so God has a plan that's unfolding through the life of his people. But all the way back in Genesis 15, when God told Abram, before he changed his name to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. He told him something specific that was going to happen to that nation, Israel, even before his first son was born. I want you to listen to it with me. It's in Genesis chapter 15. and It says, The Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So even before Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, God told him, you're going to become a great nation, but that nation's going to go into slavery for 400 years. Now many of you know the story as you move out of Genesis and into Exodus that, that God used Moses to be the man to deliver Israel out of bondage in Egypt. He used him to, to lead them out of Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea. They spent 40 years in the wilderness following Moses as God's leader. And where we pick up in the book of Joshua is the people of Israel, this covenant people, have just ended 30 days of mourning and weeping over the death of Moses. He's gone. And the Lord brings Joshua to the forefront as the leader. Now, I just got to say, setting that table causes me to think that if there was ever a leader, if there was ever a person that felt pressure to, to rise to the occasion, how many of you know it's Joshua? I mean, if there was ever a person that, that, that felt the, the, the squeeze of the moment to say, boy, there's a lot riding on me right now. I mean, he's following Moses. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in, in all of the Bible. This is Moses who, 
who the Bible says when, when Pharaoh was uh, having all of the newborn sons of the Hebrews thrown into the Nile River, Moses' mother hid him in a basket in the bulrushes along the banks of the Nile River and preserved his life. This Moses was picked up out of the water by Pharaoh's own household and raised in Pharaoh's house. This is the same Moses that God used to come back and to call the plagues down on Egypt and and to deliver the people through the Red Sea and and to strike the rock with his staff and the water flowed out and to to lead him by a pillar of fire and a cloud and, and all of these incredible, amazing things that Moses did. That's the leader that Joshua was following. And, and obviously we know God did all those things, but he used Moses to do it time and time again. It was Moses that went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments from the Lord. It was Moses that went into the tent of meeting and the Bible says he spoke to God face to face as a man talks to his friends. This guy had a whole nother level of relationship with God. And verse 2 says in Joshua 1, Now Moses, my servant, is dead. How many of you know change is difficult? If you're a leader in any capacity, you know that sometimes it can be hard to, to make room for other leaders. You know that it can be hard to, to pass the baton. It can be hard to allow somebody else to, to grow in their leadership because we, we care about what we do and so we hold on to what we do. And if you're a young leader or someone that's striving to be a leader in some capacity, you know that sometimes it's hard to develop your gifting. It's hard to get your foot in, to, to have opportunity. Because maybe, maybe there's not enough room in the leadership structure that is over you. As I look at this story, I, there's a valuable, valuable leadership lesson that I just want to drop in your heart because we're all leading in some capacity or another. And, and the leadership lesson is this. Death is the ultimate deadline for leadership. You're not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. And whether we transition well, whether we elevate people and encourage people and, and build people up or not, death is the ultimate deadline for leadership. And so you may be in a place where you think it's all on you and all up to you. But if it's all up to you and it's all on you, then it all ends with you. And the moment you're done serving in that place of leadership, the service is over. This last week in our prayer gatherings, God was speaking many words through the church family. In fact, I have papers just like this one. A stack of them on my desk right now. These are words that, that God spoke through our congregation as we gathered throughout this past week to pray for one another. And, and one of the words that, that God spoke uh, as we were praying was that He wants this church to be a healing house and a sending house. A healing house and a sending house. And the picture that God gave me in my mind when that word came forth was a memory of Hershey Medical Center. <clears throat> when my mother-in-law was, uh, was there several years ago and, and the doctor came in to visit her and he had about four other uh, people with him and, and, and the whole time we were there, they just it was like a revolving door. They just never stopped coming in. And the reason they never stopped coming in is because Hershey Medical Center is a teaching hospital. A teaching hospital is a hospital uh, that not only offers 
medical care, but they also provide education for other people. They're, they're teaching people while they're serving. And that was the picture that God put in my mind of what this church is to be, a healing house and a sending house, a place where people can uh, receive the word and receive ministry, but also learn how to do ministry even as we're doing it. And I'm, I'm saying that word to you this morning because I believe that is a word for our house today. And I want to tell you, when you look at the life of Moses and all the incredible things that he did, I think one of the most significant things that Moses ever accomplished was that Moses prepared a predecessor. He, he prepared someone to step in and do the work of the ministry. Hear me, the reason that Joshua was able to follow Moses as the leader of Israel is because Joshua followed Moses as the leader of Israel. Did you, I didn't study that. Did you catch that? The reason that Joshua was able to follow Moses as the leader of Israel is because he followed Moses as the leader of Israel. You look back through the story of all the incredible things that that Moses did while the spotlight of the Holy Spirit is on his life. And you see right behind him is a young man named Joshua. All the way back to uh, his childhood, honestly, because when Moses said, uh, he gave the instructions for the Passover, and he told everyone to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house so that the death angel would not come and take the life of the firstborn in every household. Joshua's family heeded the instructions of Moses. And we know that because Joshua is the firstborn in his own family. So from the very beginning of his life, they were listening to his leadership. Later on, the Bible says in Exodus 17, you, you might remember the story, that Moses was up on the mountain, and God had told him, as long as your hands are in the air, the people are going to have victory over the Amalekites. As your hands are in the air, I'm going to win a great victory. And when his hands got tired, Aaron and Hur came and set him on a rock and they held his hands up. But Joshua was the commander down in the valley that was fighting the battle that Moses was interceding for. The Bible tells us that Joshua became Moses' personal servant and minister. He worked along side of him when God called Moses to go up the mountain to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Everyone stayed at the bottom except for one young man. That young man was Joshua. He went halfway up and he waited for Moses to return and to come down the mountain. He was one of the twelve that Moses trusted when he sent spies in to, to scout the land that God had promised them. And when he had created the, the tent of meeting, the place that God had instructed him to say, Moses, this is the place where I'm going to come and I'm going to meet with you. And while I'm meeting with you, I want all the other people to stand outside of their tent. And I want them to wait until you come back out. You're going to meet with me. I want you to, I want you to see one significant verse in Exodus chapter 33 that communicates this process that was going on in the background through Moses and Joshua. The Bible says in Exodus 33, verse 9, As Moses went in the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. Look at verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks 
to his friend. Now that, that verse gets quoted a lot in church, but I want you to look at the rest of the verse. It says, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Moses would go into the presence of God and, and he would speak to God face to face as the man speaks to his friend. But after he would leave, after the, the moment the worship service was over, there was a young man lingering in the presence of God, basking in the glory of the relationship that Moses had with the Lord. And it says he didn't leave. He would stay right there in that moment. And Moses prepared Joshua for transition. I want to share a couple things with you this morning out of the first six verses in this text, Joshua chapter 1, that I believe are important and applicable to our lives. First of all, a pivot. Second, a promise. And third, a posture. Let me talk to you about this pivot because there's something that has to happen in Joshua's heart. And I believe in our heart, we come to these moments in life where things are about to change. You know, it's easy to talk about the promises of God and God's going to do greater things and, and yeah, we want to believe for great things. But you understand that a lot of times we, we lose it in the turns, in the transitions. If you've ever watched a relay team, oftentimes they lose momentum or they lose the race in the handing off of the baton. It's in the transitions that oftentimes we miss it. I was thinking this week, and forgive me for a football analogy, but it is wild card, week, week, wild card weekend. So I was thinking about my high school football coach. You know, when Tim and I played football together at Hemfield, we had a wide receiver coach, Coach Barton, and he would talk to us about planting the pivot foot. He would tell us not to go out and run these pass routes, you know, that are just kind of slow turning because it doesn't develop fast enough and the defense is going to pick up on that and they're going to take the ball for six points the other direction. No, you got to run hard routes. And when you decide it's time to turn, run full speed to that point and plant your pivot foot. Stick it and go. And you'll find, if, if you're a sports fan, you know this, that the best wide receivers are not always necessarily the fastest guys. The best wide receivers are the best route runners. The guys that know how to run great routes. There's a moment where you make a decisive decision. I'm moving this way and now I'm going to plant my pivot foot and I'm going to move in a new direction. This is the pivot moment for Joshua. It's in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. Now then, something's about to change. We're going to do something different. You're not going to stay there. You've been here for 30 days mourning over Moses, and, and he deserves the honor, and he deserves the time of grieving. But hey, now then, it's time to plant your foot and move in a different direction. I, I, want, you to, I want you to get this moment. Do, do me a favor. You've you got both feet on the floor. Just put your weight on one of them. Put your weight on, on one of them. Now, just lean forward in your seat a little bit. Can you just lean forward so you feel that? Now, see, some of you think you're on your pivot foot. You're not yet. You think you are. Lift your other foot up. Now, now you're on your pivot foot. It's giving yourself wholly and completely to the fact that what was, good as it was, is not what will be. The thing that God was doing, it was great, it was awesome, but there's something different. Let me give you another word that God spoke to our church this week in our prayer times. In fact, this word came on two different nights from two different people. 
The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. 19, here's the word that came forth. The Lord says to us, See, writes Phil Assembly of God, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God's saying, Now, now then, Moses is dead. Now then, I'm doing a new thing. But do you not perceive it? See, our coach used to do this thing to us to, to make us pivot really hard is he would purposely throw the ball early so that if you didn't pivot and turn, that ball was going to hit you in the ear hole every time. And he would do that to us so that we would turn and look, turn with expectation. You were to run hard five yards, plant your pivot foot and turn because that ball is going to be there when you look. And this is what I want to tell you that God's saying in the spirit that we're not just turning. We're not just changing for change's sake. We're not just mixing things up to be different. What God is saying is you pivot towards a promise. You don't just haphazardly go and say, well, I don't know what God's doing, but, but you know, we've been doing this for a while, so let me just do something different. It's a new year. Let's try something new. No, God says you pivot towards a promise. And I want to talk to you about the promise for just a minute. Because God wants you to buy into a vision that is bigger than your lifetime. See, I can imagine for Joshua, it's a lot of pressure to follow Moses. And so look with me again at what the Lord said to him in verse 2. He said, now, my servant Moses is dead. Now then, pivot. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. And I, and I read that and I wondered, why did God add to the Israelites? I mean, it makes sense without that. I'm going to give them this land. By the way, the Israelites. And I just wonder if he didn't say that just so that Joshua would, re would remember that this is not the Mosesites. Like, that this promise is not just for a person. This promise is for a people. This is something that he didn't just promise to Moses. He told Abraham way back in Genesis, and Isaac, and he told Jacob, who became Israel, and this is a, a promise to as many who are afar off. He said, this is a promise to my people, the Israelites. Saying, Joshua, th this isn't all about Moses, so don't sweat it, but you've got to also understand this isn't all ab about you either. You need to have a vision that's bigger than your lifetime. C can I just tell you honestly, I mean, I've grown up in the church and been around them my whole life. Many of you have too. One of the reasons a lot of churches die is because they don't have a vision that's bigger than their generation. That's why when you walk in the doors of the church, you walk through a time warp. And it feels like you went back 40 years. Because everything is connected to what God was doing a generation ago. And God's saying, listen, this is not about you. This is about the bigger plan and purpose that I have for my kingdom. I, I thought about it in my own life. And, and here's the reality. One of these days, if the Lord tarries his coming, I'm going to die. And they're going to put my body in the ground. <clears throat> now, I'd rather go by the rapture. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I want the overtaker. How about you? But, but one of these days, if the Lord doesn't return, they're going to put my body in the ground. And, and what is the church going to do then? I, I'll tell you what they're going to do. About 30 minutes after they do that, they're going to come back here and eat potato salad. 
That's it. That's, you're going to go on. You're going to go on. And everything that I did, everything that I strived for with my time, my energy, my resources, my talents, that's all going to come to a screeching halt unless I had a vision that was bigger than my lifetime. Unless it was about more than just what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be or what I thought would be nice. God wants to give you a vision that is bigger than your lifetime. He wants to do something. Listen, the enemy has a plan too. Lest you think that the devil just wants to frustrate your marriage he's not just trying to frustrate your marriage he wants to steal the blessing of god on your children's children's children he wants to he wants to steal their legacy of a strong marriage he wants to wreak havoc on what god wants to do in their lives it's not just about you it's not just about me it's not just about me and my wife getting along god is wanting to do something for our grandchildren through the legacy of faithfulness that we're going to establish this ring that I'm wearing, my wedding ring, was given to me by my wife at the altar on September 19th. But it was given to us by my grandfather. This ring right here signifies over 50 years of covenant marriage between my great-grandparents. So whenever I look at this ring, not only does it remind me of my covenant with my wife, it also reminds me that I have an incredible legacy of covenant-keeping people. And that's what God wants for every one of our families, for every one of our children and our grandchildren. So you've got to understand that the plan of God and the plan of the enemy is far bigger than your life and my life. And it goes the same in the church. So God does something. He, he renews His promise. In the next few verses, <coughs> just look at it with me in verse 3. God renews the promise. He says, I'll give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, I'm saying it to you now, your territory will extend from the desert. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. God wants to renew His promises in our lives. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You go, well, it looks like you're with them, but no, no, no. I'm with you. My plan's bigger than a personality. I'm with you. My promises are still for you today. And so He says, you've got to discern what I'm doing. Hear hear the Spirit today calling you to pivot. Maybe it's a, a direct pivot towards something, an act of obedience, something that's lacking in your life. And it quite possibly might be, at the same time, a turn away from something. You know, that's what repentance is, by the way. It just means to turn. When we repent, we turn away from sin and we turn towards God. And for some of you, that's the pivot move that God wants for your life. There's there's some things that you need to turn away from. Don't don't slowly turn the corner and... The enemy's going to pick you off. Make up your mind. That's why we give altar calls in the church, by the way. It's not that God's here more than He's there or at your house. It's the fact that we come to a place and say, this is a pivot move moment. This is a moment in my life at the end of this service where I can say, God, change it now. I'm redirecting my life according to your word. And God may want that for some of you today to say, you know, it's time to, it's time to shift in a new direction. There's something that I'm calling you to. You don't just move for movement's sake. 
we move towards the promises of God. And then the third thing in verse 6 is the way that we posture ourselves. <clears throat> I'm talking about your attitude. I'm talking about the stance that you take. Look at verse 6. Here's the word to Joshua and to us. He says, be strong and courageous. <clears throat> God speaks to Joshua a word about how he's supposed to move forward. And, and he says, not just one time. You, you notice it when we read it earlier. He says multiple times, be strong and courageous. Now, I don't think that God would say, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. If Joshua didn't have a tendency in his life to be afraid and discouraged. I mean, if Joshua had it all together, no worries, no fears, no apprehensions, no reason that God would continue to tell him to be strong and to be courageous. And, and maybe I've missed it, but I just have a hunch that a lot of us are the same way. That God needs to tell us over and over again, be strong and courageous. We hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. We want to step out in obedience. <clears throat> Whether it's a, a choice of a willful commission of an act of obedience or an omission from some sinful thing or, or maybe it's stepping out and, and sharing your faith with somebody. We, we hear that. We feel the tug. And just like Joshua, we need God to say to us again and again, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And so God does it and He does it in four ways. And I, I just want to tell you the, the four ways that God communicates to Joshua, and I believe wants to communicate to us his encouragement. The first one is by God's pattern, his pattern of promise keeping. There's a pattern, and, and God reminds Joshua of it. We've just read through it. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land, what land? The land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. So in that moment, he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous, not because you have military experience, and he did, and he was one of the greatest military leaders in the history of Israel, but God said, don't bank on your skill. Be strong and courageous because I made a promise. Be strong and courageous because of what I said. I made a promise to the people that were serving me before you ever stepped on the scene. Before you were even a thought in your parents' minds. I made a promise. And so God reminds Joshua, and he needs to remind us sometimes that, look, I'm orchestrating something that is far bigger than you. And I'm calling you into a purpose that is going to exceed and extend beyond your lifetime. And so you can be encouraged today, and you can have strong faith today, not because of your abilities, but because of my promise and the pattern of being a promise keeper. Yes, Joshua, you're going to need courage to fight the battles. But you're going to win because of my promises, not because of your ability. You'll lead these people because I swore. Listen to this word. Don't, don't turn there, but in 2 Corinthians, the Bible gives us a word about God's promises. In chapter 1 and verse 20 of 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 
Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Let me just stop here and say that's why it's important that you get in the Word. Because the Bible says He's given us everything we need <coughs> by His divine power through our knowledge of Him. Some people don't have everything they need because they don't have any knowledge of God. So it's on us to, to gain knowledge, to add to our faith knowledge. In the next verse, he says this, Through these, His divine power, through these, His own glory, He has given us every great and precious promise, so that through them, His promises, we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God wants you to be encouraged because He has a pattern of faithfulness to keep His promises. And then He says it a second time to Joshua in verse 7. Look at it with me. Joshua 1, 7. He says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. So the second way that God wants to encourage Joshua to be strong and courageous is through the power of His Word. Through the power of His Word. He said, be strong and very courageous. In other words, God was saying, you're going to need courage to fight these battles against these enemies. So be strong and courageous. But it's going to take a lot of courage for you to walk in obedience to the Word of God. So He says this time, be strong and very courageous. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like it would be easier to just win a fight with somebody than to obey God's word all the time? <laughs> you know? And so God says, this is going to take discipline. Be strong and very courageous to obey my word. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning and it's bothering you that I keep talking about a Bible reading program because last Sunday you were like, I'm going to do that this year. I'm going to get me a Bible reading program. And you checked one box this week. You know, and you go, man, I'm seven days behind already. You can't wait for me to stop talking about the Bible reading program. Let me just tell you, it should not surprise you that it's hard to get in the Word. It shouldn't surprise us. <coughs> David said this. David said, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. The Word protects him against the temptations of his own flesh and the tactics of the enemy. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, every time the enemy came against him, the Bible says that Jesus responded with these words, Thus saith the word of God. Jesus had one weapon to ward off the enemy, and it was the word of God. You don't think the devil knows that? The word of God is a shield of faith. For us. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit for us to fight with. If the enemy can get you to put down your sword, you're susceptible to his attacks. There's nothing that he wages war against more than the Word. So don't be surprised that it's hard to get in the Word. Don't be surprised that your phone always goes off, that the kids always start crying, that somebody needs you for something, that you know, whatever, whatever. The Lord is trying to get us in the Word because He wants to encourage us to be strong and be very courageous. And the way we do it is by <coughs> obeying the Word of God. Look at the next verse. Verse 8 says, <coughs> Keep this book of the law always... 
on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So he's talking about getting in the word. And he says first to him, Joshua, (coughs) you got to know the word. There in verse 7. You got to know the word. If you feel like God's calling you into doing something, if you feel like God's tugging at your heart into some sphere of service that you've never been in before, listen, the best thing you can do to prepare yourself is to get in the word, to study the word, to seek the word, to know what the word of God says. Secondly, he says, Joshua, don't just know the word. (coughs) He said, include the word in your conversation. That's what he told him. Talk about it. Talk about the word. Just ask yourself a little self-inventory. Who do you have in your life right now that you talk to about the Word of God? Or or is that moment of devotion in your life so detached from everything else that you do that it never comes up in conversation? But he says, Joshua, talk about the Word with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Let it be a part of what you're doing as you lead the nation. The third thing he tells him is meditate on the Word. Don't just think about it. Don't just know it. Don't just talk about it. Meditate on the Word. That goes beyond all those things to really thinking through how I can apply the Word of God in my life. Meditation means to think about it, to to contemplate it. Meditation has application as its goal. When I meditate on the Word of God, I'm not just reading the Word. I'm letting the Word read me. And I'm saying, God, teach me through Your Word. Shape me, mold me, change my life. Let me think about this long enough that I process it and it becomes action. That it affects my choices, my decisions. If we'll be committed to His Word, God wants to encourage us through it. He wants us to be strong. Here's the third way. That he encouraged them. Look at verse 9 in Joshua 9. He encouraged them like this. He said, I, have I not commanded you for the third time? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. So, he encourages him first through the, the pattern of being a promise keeper. Secondly, through the promises in His Word. And then thirdly, He encourages him with the promise of His very presence. God says, I'm going to be with you. Here's why you can be encouraged, because I'm with you. The New Testament tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? To just know that God is with us. He's for us. You know, one of our prayer meetings this week, Brother Jerry stood up and he quoted from memory, Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he just quoted that that whole chapter. And it's an incredible promise for us that if we'll go and abide in God's presence, he's going to guard us. He's going to protect us. The, The enemies won't be able to come against us. The pestilence will not destroy us. Why? Because we are in the presence of God. And so God says for the third time to Joshua, look, be strong and be courageous because my presence is with you. I just want to encourage you that, that the best thing you can do is to continually make a habit of getting into the presence of God. 
And we touched on this last week, but this is so important that when we're studying the Word and when we're reading our Bible, that we create an atmosphere for that to happen. That it's not just, I'm just going to read this and kind of get through this with a thousand other things going on, but I'm going to create an atmosphere. Whether that means a specific place in your house, or putting on music, or whatever that means for you, but creating an atmosphere where you can be in the presence of God. Nothing has blessed me more this week than just being in the presence of God as we've come in here and prayed and then again as we begin to worship this morning did you feel it did you just sense the presence of God here it's 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 his it's his presence faith arises in his presence I want to just encourage you to get in God's presence not just when you come to church but make a place in your own home where you can meet with God and then there's a fourth way this is the last one I'll give you. That, that God communicates to Joshua. I want you to be strong and of good courage. And it's all the way at the end of the chapter. For time's sake, we won't read it. But what happens next as Joshua commands the people to go out, he says, we're going to cross over the Jordan and we're going to possess the land. There were three tribes in Israel that didn't want to cross over, not because they didn't want to help, but because they liked the land on the east side of the Jordan. And so when they told Moses that, he said, that's fine, you can stay on the east side, you can live here, but when we cross over, your, <coughs> your fighting men have to go with us. You have to help us possess the land. You can leave your wives and, and children, and then when we've possessed the land, you can go back over and you can live there. And so Joshua reminds them. He says, by the way, you three, you're going with us. You remember, you're going with us. You're going to help us. And here's their response down in, verse, <coughs> down in verse 16 at the end of the chapter. They answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. <coughs> and wherever you send us, we will go. Could you imagine? I just got to stop right here and say this because I underlined two words in that verse in my Bible. I don't have time to preach about them, but whatever and whenever. Can you just imagine for a minute what God could do with a church that says whatever, whenever? Whatever, whenever. Hey, we're, we're following the Lord here. Whatever, whenever, we'll do it. Verse 17, just as fully as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Last verse of the chapter. It says, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it. They're talking to Joshua now, the leader. Whatever you have commanded them, they will be put to death. Only you be strong and courageous. Now, I don't know if you've had that moment happen in your spiritual journey before, but I have, and it's cool. When God has told you something... As you've followed the Lord, you've seen a pattern of His faithfulness to keep His promises. And because of that pattern, you have courage to believe God. And not only that, but you've been studying the Word. And God's encouraging you and revealing His promises to you through His Word. And not only that, but God has given you a specific thing that He wants you to do in your heart. And maybe the promise is you're going to have a healthy marriage. Or maybe the promise is God's going to give you financial freedom. Or maybe the promise for you is health in your relationships or health in your physical body. But whatever the promise is, you planted your foot in and you're like, this is from God. I'm going to turn to that promise and I'm going to believe that I'm going to receive at the moment 
what God has for me. If you've ever had that moment, and it's so awesome that, that God is speaking through His Word, and He's speaking through His past, and He's speaking through His promises, and just when you think, man, I, I'm ready to receive, somebody walks up to you. And they say the exact same thing to you that God's been saying. You ever had that happen? I mean, three times God's told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then Joshua says, okay, we're going to do this. Church, we're going to move. Oh, you guys, remember, you're going with us. And they say, hey, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Joshua, you know that had to ring in his ears as like a final rally cry from the Lord. He's about to go out and he's about to conquer nations. He's about to possess lands. He's about to do things that he's never done before. And it's going to take a lot of courage. And there's things that God wants for your life. There's things that he's calling you to. There's a person that he wants you to be. You have not yet seen your fulfilled potential. Maybe you've done everything that you're supposed to do in your lifetime, but your vision is limited to your lifetime. And God's saying, I want you to be a part of something that exceeds your lifetime. I want you to invest in something that's bigger than you. And it's so cool that God will do this if we'll open our hearts to Him. He'll come alongside you in that promise. And He'll bring a brother or a sister in Christ. And they'll say, you know, I just feel like, boy, the Lord wants me to tell you. And they'll confirm the Word of God. And on a Monday night of this past week, and on Wednesday night of this past week, and on Friday night of this past week, as we gathered together to pray in this sanctuary, we saw God do that every night. Every night. God was just confirming His promises and confirming His Word in our lives. And I want to challenge you to be open, to be open to receive the promises of God in the mouth of one of His witnesses. God may want to speak to your life through somebody else. Now, we don't live by prophecy. We live by the Word of God. If they had said, Joshua, I think you'd be be a little bit afraid here. He would have said, I rebuke you, devil. That's not the word of God. The word of God is be strong and courageous. But God had already spoken. The word was already alive in his heart. And then a prophetic word of encouragement came and validated, put an exclamation point on what God was saying. And he said, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, let's be strong and courageous. God wants to speak into your life. And I, I want to challenge, challenge you to plant your foot and turn your heart towards the promises that God's speaking. He has proven His Word over and over again. He has proven His faithfulness over and over again. And He is confirming His will through the mouth of His witnesses. And the word that I gave you early, I want to give you again. Behold, He says, I do a new thing in the earth. Shall you not perceive it? 